Well, I invite you to take up your Bible again. We're going to pick up right where we left off in 1 Samuel 17. This is a part of our ongoing study that we're calling Knowing Jesus, seeking to know Christ better and better. And in these couple weeks before, uh, before Christmas Eve, we're looking at uh, different parts of the Old Testament, seeing essentially how God got his people ready for Christmas, uh, got his people ready for the coming of Jesus, using old covenant uh, institutions as types, as shadows of, of who Christ was and what he would come to do. So we looked at the priest last week. This week we look at the king, uh, particularly uh, seeing how David is a picture uh, of the Lord Jesus. And there's no better great place to study the life of David than David and Goliath, this great, this great story that we love. Uh, so let's pick up the reading in verse 28 uh, and, uh, and continue from, from there. Now, Eliab, his elder, eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Uh, was it not but a word? Uh, and he turned away from him toward another, and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they re uh, repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And he said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Uh, but David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from uh, the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, the Lord be with you. And Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his own sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, uh, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a javelin. 
But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give, your, give you uh, the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds uh, of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with a sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and slung it, and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. And there was no sword in the hand of David. Uh, then David ran over, uh, over the Philistine and took uh, his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued uh, the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sha'arim, as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. Then he put his armor in his tent. Well, let's, let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you that this is indeed your word. We thank you that you, you promised to use your word to, uh, to show us your greatness and glory and uh, and to show us Jesus. So we pray that you do that and strengthen our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 <coughs> so kids, do you, do you kids like the story of David and Goliath? Is it one of your favorites? It's one of my favorites. So here's, here's my question, though. Great story, but what does David and Goliath have to do with Christmas? Is this a Christmas story? Actually, I think it is. I think it is. Because what God is showing us here through David is a picture of what Jesus came to do and who Jesus is. And we get to, get to learn about Jesus by this exciting story from, from the Old Testament, this true story from the life of King David. If you, of course, listen this time of year to the different Christmas carols that we sing, uh, the different Christmas readings that we read, uh, you, you will probably notice pretty quickly how often we talk about the coming of Jesus with the language of a king and his reign uh, and his arrival, and specifically a king connected to David. Right? Remember, remember the angel showing up before Mary, how she explains uh, the whole birth? Uh, that how uh, this uh, child, this baby that she's going to have will be given the throne of his father David, and his kingdom shall have no end. And how it is that uh, Jesus came to be born in Bethlehem, which Luke goes out of his way to say, which by the way is the city of David, because Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. 
In other words, you can't understand uh, who this Bethlehem baby is unless you connect him to David. Well, that's what, that's what this story helps us to do, to understand Jesus uh, as the king from the line of David. And it gives us a powerful picture of what our king came to do. It starts off with, with really the, the need for a king. Uh, so you know how the David and Goliath story, story begins. It's a part of this ongoing warfare between God's people, Israel, uh, and the Philistines. And in this latest, uh, this latest battle, you have the armies drawing up alongside one another, one on one hillside and another on, a, on the other. Uh, and yet they don't, the armies don't attack one another. They're just kind of waiting. Uh, but the Philistines send forth their, their great champion, uh, this Goliath, this, this extraordinarily tall uh, champion, this one with the, the best armor and the, and the strongest and deadliest weapons, and, and Goliath lays forth uh, a challenge. Uh, his challenge is uh, solo combat, winner take all. Right? Goliath will fight for the Philistines. You Israelites send out your champion, and the two of us will fight, and whichever side wins, well, then the whole nation will win. And whichever side loses, then that whole nation loses. That's the, that's the story. Of course, uh, uh, Goliath does it not just in cold, calculating terms. He does it defying, mocking Israel and Israel's God. Uh, which helps us understand something really important to get about warfare in, in the ancient world and in the, in the Bible, in Bible days. Warfare was not just viewed as, as kind of political, military. It was deeply, deeply religious. It was viewed not just as nation against nation, but one nation's gods taking on the other nation's gods. Which is why Goliath mocks, in the name of his gods, Israel and Israel's God. Which is why it really doesn't matter uh, whether it's the whole army facing the whole army, or one man facing one man. Whichever side has the strongest God is going to win. It's a battle of one God versus another. Who's going to win? Now, Israel should know uh, and should have learned the lesson by now uh, that, that they had nothing to fear. Right? I mean, go back to the, the days of Moses, uh, when the mightiest army in the world, Pharaoh and his chariots, are, are bearing down upon them. Uh, who is it that wins the victory? Is it Egypt and, and Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt? No, it's the Lord who fights for his people and the, and the armies of Egypt are defeated. How about uh, the days of Joshua, uh, when, when there are the, the mighty strong walls of Jericho? What does God promise? He will fight for them. And sure enough, Israel does virtually nothing, but God fights for his people. The walls come tumbling down, and Israel uh, is able to get the promised land. God fights for his people, and no matter how strong the enemy, uh, God defeats them. The battle is the Lord's. Uh, and you could go on through the days of the judges and so on and so forth. Even in Saul's very lifetime, uh, God showed this to be the case. Uh, so, as, as Israel sees even, even this great giant, uh, this great warrior, they really have nothing to fear. I mean, is this, is this one any more difficult than, than Pharaoh and his army for the living and true God? Uh, is this Goliath uh, any more fearful than the great walls of Jericho? If God can do that, certainly he can handle Goliath. 
there is nothing to fear. That's why it's especially troubling when we read in verse 11, uh, on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Right? They forgot. They missed it. That, that their God is the living God, and he promised to fight for his people. And it's especially true uh, and, and, and saddening of, of King Saul himself. Because Saul should have been the one who, who would step forward and fight for Israel. Because Saul was their king. And that's what kings do. Kings fight for their people. Uh, kings lead their people in battle. In fact, uh, we're kind of jumping right into the middle of Samuel, but if we've read, this, this, the context of this passage is really helpful. So if we've read up until now, we've had the kingship set up for us. And how, how the kingship is introduced uh, all the way back in chapter 8, the people are describing, here's why we need a king. You know what they say? They say, we need a king because, uh, so that our king may go out before us and fight our battles. We need a king who will go before us and fight our battles. And here's, here's the battle, and who should have gone out before them and fight for them? Saul. Saul. And we even get this interesting description of who Saul is, right? This is chapter 9, and Saul is being, uh, is being anointed king. And what do we read about Saul? Saul is described, chapter 9, as an impressive young man without equal among Israelites, a head taller than any of the others. So when the really tall Goliath comes, who should go forward to fight him? How about the tallest Israelite? How about the king, whose very job is to fight on behalf of his people? But no, Saul doesn't. He tries to bribe somebody else into doing it. Uh, Saul fails. Uh, and so what you see here is, is not just, not just a, a political military threat to God's people, but a deeply, deeply spiritual threat. Uh, God's people need a king to fight for them. They have, they have, uh, they have lost faith in the promises uh, of God, uh, and they're in physical and spiritual trouble. And it's a good picture of us. And our need. Uh, we, we, we too have enemies that are deeply, deeply spiritual. Uh, we, we, could, we could think of, of Satan and the powers of darkness. Right? Talk about a Goliath-like giant threat. The uh, uh, Bible says, like a lion seeking someone to devour. There's, there's the evil one. Now, of course, there's also the enemy of the world. Uh, this, this fallen world around us that, that claws and pulls and tempts, it's an enemy. Even, the Bible speaks of, of our own fallen hearts. Uh, they're that part of us that's still drawn to sin and uh, the old nature, the old man, that's an enemy, right? As it, as it tries to pull us away uh, from the true and living God and his ways. These powerful, powerful enemies, Goliath-like threats, uh, they, they stand much taller than Goliath, uh, and here we are, uh, by nature, weak, fearful, trembling, uh, not very good at trusting uh, in the power of God. We need a king to fight for us, and that's exactly what God provides to Israel and to us. So let's secondly go then to the qualifications of a king. 
So God's people desperately need a king who will fight for them. <clears throat> and God provides. He provides in David. Now again, context is specific. Before you get to chapter 17, you got to chapter 16. What happened in chapter 16? David was anointed king of Israel. He, ha he, hasn't, he hasn't ascended to the throne formally yet. But when he steps on that battlefield in front of Goliath, he steps uh, on that field as the anointed king of Israel. All right? We look at David, we think, ah, here's the king. Saul should have been the one. He failed. He's not being a king. Here's David. Here's the king. But he's not exactly the kind of king you would expect. All right? We, we might think of, of David in this story as, 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 as really strong. But actually, uh, the picture is here... This is not whom we expect to fight for us at all. Uh, David is an unexpected kind of king. Chapter 16 goes out of its way to describe David as the youngest son of Jesse. Remember how David is, uh, is chosen in his anointing? Uh, here's the prophet Samuel. God sends him to, uh, to Jesse's house, David's father. Uh, one of the sons of Jesse is going to be named, is going to be named king, anointed king. Uh, Samuel has all the sons lined up and and Saul goes to the first one, uh, right? The, the oldest, the tallest, and immediately Samuel thinks, aha, this is the guy. Uh, but God says to, to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. Man looks on the outward appearance, the Lord looks on the heart, right? God says to Saul, you're not going to choose the tall guy. And he goes down the line of all the sons, and nope, nope, God doesn't choose any of them. And finally Samuel says, uh, do you got any other sons? And Jesse says, well, there, there yet remains the youngest. This is chapter 16, verse 11. And if you look at the ESV footnote, there yet remains the youngest. You could also translate it. There yet remains the shortest, which, of course, David would be. Yeah, there is the short kid in the family. Bring him. He's an anointed kid. He's an anointed kid. Not the tall one. The short one. And then you get into, you get into uh, to chapter 17, our text that we read. And David, of course, is not, uh, is not uh, in the army. Right? His three oldest brothers are. That makes sense. They're the, they're the big, the strong ones. Uh, Dave, David's the one who's kind of going back and forth. He's watching the sheep. Uh, he's, he's sent off to the, battle, uh, the battlefield not to fight. Because what's he going to do? Uh, he's, gonna, he's sent carrying the supplies. Here, David, carry the cheese. Uh, and so he arrives uh, on the battlefield, and, and everybody doubts him, right? His, his oldest brother, uh, right, criticizes him, right? There's no way you could be here, David, to do any good. So you, clearly you're just here gawking, uh, right? A little short cheese carrier. Uh, get out of here. You shouldn't be here. Saul doubts him. Right? Saying, you're just a youth. How are you going to go up against this guy? And of course, Goliath himself is the one who, who really mocks him mercilessly, saying, what, what an insult. Am I a dog that you come after me with, with sticks? So here's David, the most unlikely of champions, uh, the most unlikely of warriors. Uh, we need someone to take on the great giant. Let's send the short cheese carrier. Good idea. Don't give him any weapons. Don't give him any armor. Send him. But that's the one God brings the victory. 
Can you start to see Jesus here? Can you start to see uh, how this? Well, actually, let's let's go let's go a step further before we before we make the connections explicit. How was David qualified? Right, he wasn't qualified in any of the outward ways. Tall enough, weapons, strength, reputation didn't have any of that. But his qualifications, well, God gives us those. Look at how David describes his own qualifications, verses 30, 34 to 37. So he's talking to Saul, trying to talk Saul into sending him, and he describes his experience as a shepherd. So when I was a shepherd, I, the flock was attacked by a lion, by a bear. Uh, and, and if we read kind of quickly, we might be thinking, oh, David's describing how much of a, how great of a warrior he is, uh, right? He, he's, he's really powerful. But if you read carefully, that's actually not the bottom line that David gets to. Look at David's bottom line in verse 37. Uh, David says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Right? He doesn't say, send me because I'm actually the best fighter here. He says, the Lord is the one who fought for me. And he's going to fight for me. Uh, it's exactly what he says what he says to, uh, to Goliath himself, verse 45. What's his qualifications? What makes him so confident in this battle? Uh, he says to, uh, to Goliath, verse 45, you come at me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come uh, to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you divide. Or verse, verse 47, that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, he will give you into our hand. This is, this is exactly what Saul should have said. This is exactly where Israel should have been confident, what they sh should have learned from Moses and the days of Joshua. Oh, yeah, that's right, the battle is the Lord's. If we fight in the name of the Lord, it doesn't matter. Sword, spear, the Lord will win. And that is David's, that's David's hope, that's David's confidence. Uh, the promises and presence of the mighty of the mighty God. That's what a king is supposed to sound like. Uh, and he leads uh, his people in that faith, uh, in that trust, uh, in the might of God. Okay, now let's start to think of Jesus. Can you start to see how this is a, a, a shadow of Jesus? So first of all, a king who doesn't look very impressive on the outside. Uh, right, David? In all the typical ways of hero, victory, king, David doesn't look impressive. Well, neither does Jesus. Right? We, we celebrate this time of year that, that the great king came in a very unlikely way. Showed up in a, among the animals. No one really noticed, except shepherds. Now, that he grew up in this, in this backwater town in Galilee. Right? What good comes from that place? Uh, that he arrives, and there's nothing really outwardly impressive about him. Remember, remember how Isaiah describes him? Uh, he had no form or beauty that we should look at him, uh, or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. You didn't look at Jesus and say, ah, there is the guy who's going to be our king. You did that to Saul, but not, not Jesus. Uh, remember, Jesus also had brothers that mocked him and misunderstood him. He did. Uh, the, the, the great ones of the land, uh, whether it's the re great religious leaders or, the, or the, the mighty political forces of his day, they also mocked and despised Jesus as being, 
uh, as being nothing, as being powerless. They derided him. And yet Jesus, of course, was exactly the king that we needed. Uh, a king like David. Think of Jesus and his showdown with Satan in the wilderness. Right? Talk about kind of a David and Goliath kind of showdown. There's Jesus in the wilderness. Uh, and, and Satan looks like the strong one. Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. He's weak. He's in the wilderness. That's Satan's territory. Uh, and, and so it looks like right, Satan's the strong one. But how does Jesus fight? Well, it's just like David of old. Uh, he fights not with worldly weapons. He quotes scripture. He quotes the promises of the living God. He says, this is what's true. Uh, this is what's real. He, he fights in the name of the Lord, and the enemy's vanquished. Right? That's, our, that's our King Jesus. He's armed with the promises of the living God, outwardly unimpressive, but exactly the kind of king uh, that we need. One who is mighty uh, in faith, strong in the promises. One who is mighty in righteousness, resisting temptation. One who is mighty in motive, zealous for the glory uh, of the living God. That's the king, the champion that we need, and this is the king that wins the victory. And that's where our final point, the king's victory. Uh, so you know how the story ends, that uh, the, the two representative warriors charge at each other, and David slings his stone and knocks, uh, knocks Goliath to the ground. David doesn't have a sword of his own, so he takes Goliath's own sword, kills him, cuts off his head, and holds his head up like a trophy, taking it home. It's not exactly a kid's story, is it? It's not exactly PG-13 or PG. Um, but it's supposed to be graphic. This is God executing his dreadful justice uh, upon those who oppose him. This is God bringing complete and total victory uh, through, his, through his king. Uh, victory for all his people. Right? Remember the arrangement. Uh, each uh, David and Goliath, each of them represents the entire nation. Uh, and so when David wins, all of God's people win. The rest of Israel, they didn't do anything. Uh, they only stood on the sidelines and cowered in fear. They only charged forward when the victory was already already won. The enemy was, was all but vanquished. Uh, they didn't contribute anything. But yet, yet they're victors because the king fought for them. And the king defeated the enemy. Uh, and again, you see, a, you see a picture of Jesus, don't you? Uh, this, is, this is our king. Uh, the one who goes and fights on our behalf. Uh, the one who, who goes to, to the cross uh, and, and wins the victory. Uh, the cross. Now, there's, there's something interesting. It's, it's almost like Goliath's sword. Right? The cross is exactly the enemy's weapon. What the enemies of Jesus think, this is how we'll get rid of them. This is how we're going to defeat Jesus. But it turns out, like Goliath's own sword, to be the very thing that Jesus uses to conquer all his enemies and all our enemies. Uh, as he takes on all the threats uh, that are real to us, Jesus there at the cross vanquishes them all. Right? He takes on our sin. Right? He bears the guilt and, and, and takes it himself. Paul says he... He, he takes the, the legal demands and he nails it to the cross, right? All the, all the debt of all our guilt, Jesus, Jesus uh, he takes it, he bears it, so that the enemy of our sin, defeat him. Uh, the enemy of the, of the world and its opposition and Satan and its, 
uh, in his in his schemes to, to conquer and to oppose God, also vanquished there at the cross. Paul, in that same Colossians passage, says, uh, speaking of what God does in Christ, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him at the cross. Jesus defeats the powers of darkness and the schemes of the world. Right? Yeah, because Jesus is that great king. That great king uh, who wins the victory. Not exactly what we expect or in the way we expect, but exactly what we need. A king who fights for us. And it is for us. Right? Just like David represents all his people, so King Jesus represents us. Uh, we don't contribute a thing. Now, we're not those who, who do very much fighting at all. Uh, we're, in fact, those who, who more likely, more uh, aptly are described as like the Israelites, trembling in fear. But Jesus wins the victory, and it counts for us. Uh, we're freed from all the enemies, uh, enemies of, of our souls. Uh, Jesus fights the battle and defeats our enemies. So, what does this have to do with Christmas? Well, it reminds us uh, who it is that shows up in Bethlehem and what he came to do. That this is, this is the king from the line of David that God had promised. This is a king. Yes, it's, it's not exactly the kind of king the world expects, but exactly the king we need. One who's perfectly equipped, uh, sent with the promises of the living God to take on all the enemies that would conquer us. The, the king to fight for us and to win the victory on our behalf. So, how do we respond? Well, first, you need to make sure you're on the right side of the battle. You're lined up on the right side of the battle line. Now, right, think, of, uh, think of David uh, holding up that head of Goliath. Uh, that's, that's something to celebrate only if you're an Israelite. Uh, if you're a Philistine and you see that head held up, you're terrified, right? And they run. It means it's the great, it's the biggest of nightmares uh, to see that champion defeated. Uh, so it depends. It depends on whether you're, na- you're numbered among the people of God or the enemies of God. So when we hear about King Jesus, the first thing we should uh, we should go to is, uh, am, am I lined up? On Jesus' side? Uh, Am I standing with him or am I standing against him? Now, regardless of what is in your past, for all of us in our past, we're we're by nature enemies of God. Uh, But but God changes and brings us onto onto his side, onto uh, onto, uh, among his people, not because we do anything wonderful uh, or fight any battles ourselves. Uh, but simply through simple faith and trust in the Savior, right? We, we turn uh, from our rebellion against God, from our opposition to Jesus, and, and now, we, now we bow before him and trust him, uh, right? So there's, there's the first thing. Are, are, you, are you trusting in Jesus so you're on the right side of the battle, so that this victory of Jesus is actually good news and not terrifying? But if you do know him, now uh, if you are trusting in him, then, then you are among the people of God, which means Jesus' victory, that's for you, completely and totally. Uh, he's won the victory, and you can, you can remind yourself of just how, uh, how confident you can be uh, in this world. 
You can remind yourself that that all the uh, all the enemies that that are really really dangerous, they're already defeated. All the uh, all the enemies that can really do harm to your soul, uh, they're already vanquished. Right? The, the powers of darkness, uh, the, the the hostility of the world, uh, even the ugliness of your own heart, uh, they are defeated enemies. Uh, they are vanquished enemies. Uh, the, the, the champion is slain, his head cut off, and the, and the ranks are fleeing in panic. Now, of course, uh, the, 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 the final total victory, uh, co- the completion of it, well, we wait for Jesus to return. But, but the enemies, as much as they might claw and, and, uh, and, and roar, they're really vanquished enemies. They're really vanquished enemies. And that's why, that's why Paul in, in Romans 8, uh, well, he's very honest about the hardships of this life before Christ returns. Right? He talks about the, the suffering and the, the groaning and the difficulty. Yeah, it's real. right? The final, the, the, the final transformation isn't here yet. But Paul says, yeah, but even in the midst of all that suffering, he says, uh, as, as the people of Jesus having this king, he says, we're more than conquerors. More than conquerors. Why is that? Is that because you conquered somebody? Or I conquered somebody? No. It's because Jesus won the victory. And all the enemies that, that really would, would destroy, they're defeated. So you and I, with him representing us, we are now more than conquerors. So Paul says, uh, yeah, well, if, if Christ is for us, who's really against us? Uh, if Christ died for us, who can condemn us? Uh, if Christ won the victory, can anything really separate us from the love of God in Christ? Nothing. Nothing. We're, we're like those Israelite soldiers. Yes, uh, yes, we, we might in the past have been paralyzed with all sorts of fear, uh, but, but we, can, we can see the king that God has brought. We can see again his, his victory and and it can fill us with real, real gospel confidence, uh, real confidence in the midst of the battle. We can, we can like those Israelites, uh, charge forward in the spiritual battle. Even this week, uh, you, can, you can charge in, even though it might look scary and the, there's still, uh, you can still see the enemies out there. You can, you can charge forward because you know uh, the king has already fought for you and he's already defeated the enemy. So you can charge forward and and take on that sin that still remains in your heart, seeking to put it to death by God's promises and and through his word. You can can go out and point others to Jesus in in a dark world. You can seek to love and serve boldly in the name of Jesus. You can... You can go and, uh, and, and take on a, a, a day or a week where you don't know what's going to happen, but you, uh, but, but you don't have to fear uh, what, might, uh, what might come. Why? Why all this confidence? Yeah, it's because we're more than conquerors uh, through the king who has loved us and who has fought for us. The king was come, and the king was come again. Uh, so in his name, uh, we can rejoice and be confident. That's right. Lord, we thank you for, for the, the might and the power of your Son. We thank you for what he has accomplished for us as people. And how, Lord, at this time of year and even throughout the year, we can, we can really remind ourselves and be strengthened 
about this one from the line of David uh, who has arrived, uh, who has defeated the enemy and will come again. Father, we pray that you would strengthen our weak faith uh, and give us a, a joy in you, even, even in the midst of, of this present darkness, knowing, uh, as Jesus himself said, uh, that we, we will have tribulation here in this world, but that we can take heart knowing that he has overcome the world. We pray in his name.